This is Dean Patino, founder of Firestarters Company. You're about to become a better leader with Bob Nolly and the Labrador Leadership Podcast. Let's light this up. Live from the RVA, this is the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Dr. Bob Nolly. The program that brings you the leadership skills that can make you the most authentic, approachable leader for the sake of your business, your team, and for you. Now, now. Here's Bob. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. You keep finding your way back. That's so good. Welcome to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. It is now the heat of the summer. We've hit the summer stoltus. Here comes the 4th of July, at least on the tape day here. Whenever you're listening to this, thank you for taking the time to listen to this. And today is a very special day because it's a privilege to have on the show one of the finest gentlemen that I've run into in the leadership world. He's discovered a pretty significant wrinkle in the leadership literature, which he talks about as host of his wildly successful podcast, From Founder to CEO. Live this morning from Cincinnati, Ohio, please welcome to the program, Todd Uderstadt. Todd, how are you? Bob, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for the opportunity to be on your show. Well, it's great to have you on. And it's, as we always say, it's great to talk about leadership because it helps us both out and it helps all of our listeners out as well. The wrinkle that I mentioned on the front side was that you, your show is about from founder to the CEO. And that just reinforces for me the fact that leadership is not a one flavor concept that the roles can change so significantly depending on where you are in the organization. And that shift from founder to CEO is indeed important. How did you latch onto that? And exactly what does that mean? Well, thanks for the question. You know, I'm, uh, I've always been involved in leadership for a long time. As you know, I was an army officer for a while and I was in corporate America and then I became a founder and CEO myself. And I just think that leadership is about degrees. You know, leadership is a very broad term and leadership can manifest itself in many different ways. I'm attracted to the leadership journey, the transition that a lot of founders take as they move into the CEO role. You know, I think that what happens is you have an entrepreneur who has a great idea and they get traction and they get a product market fit, right? And they're all excited and and they they realize, well, they just can't build this company by themselves. And they're so used to doing things a lot, excuse me, a lot of things themselves that um, they they have to start making that transition. Sometimes it's fast for, for some founders. Sometimes it's a slow transition. But usually it is a transition for someone to be able to be responsible for making sure there's cash flow, right? Making sure they are the ones that can help the people in the organization see a more positive future. And also they're the ones that also build a really great team. And so those are the three things that I see that happen a lot from the founder to the CEO transition. So in any business class you would take anywhere, one of the things that business students are warned of is that, uh, you know, a quote that I've heard uh, more than once is my new business was so successful. I just put myself right out of business. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that leadership shift that you have mentioned is at the core of that because you have something. I want to make sure our listeners understand that you have something that you have a pride of authorship around or even a, a sense of a, being the parent of this great business concept. 
and you worked hard to to bring it to the market. You worked hard to give it life, and it's there. And now it's so successful, you need to make sure other people could create that so you could do all of those things that mentioned, like fundraising and hiring people and making sure the marketing is correct so you could continue that product life cycle up the growth part of the curve. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know what I noticed too? You know, we have a lot, even though entrepreneurship is at record lows, according to the Kaufman Foundation, we still have a lot of people who are trying to become entrepreneurs. And more and more of those individuals have not been part of larger hierarchical organizations where they've learned some things or two about being a supervisor or a manager, let alone an executive. And so when a young man or young woman ventures out into the world and they say, hey, I'm going to risk it all to create something, and they don't necessarily have some of those experiences, Bob, that you and I may have had growing up at a, during a different time period, it's difficult to wrap your arms around some of the subtleties that usually creep up when you're trying to build an organization, especially around the topic of leadership. Yeah, and prior to to this day on this show, we've talked many times about people that, uh, you know, maybe oh, multi level marketers, right? They may be they may be housewives. Excuse me, or somebody that stayed on house husbands. Let's keep it gender neutral. <laughs> That's and, right. You no, know, that have got and been successful in their multi level marketing initiative, whatever the product is, whatever the company is, and now all of a sudden they need some leadership skills, and. They may never have had them or been exposed to them or really know what they what they need. Yeah, at, at its basic level, I think leadership is just about sharing a journey together about trying to accomplish a certain mission that a group of people all believe in, right? And even in this advent age of some of these online millionaires of one person, if you really talk to them, they'll tell you, well, you know, I have a team of outsourced people or a virtual assistant. And, you know, they're using leadership skills and management skills to be able to bring them on board to help them create that million-dollar business even though they advertise themselves as a as a business of one. And the folks that are just getting started in the entrepreneurial world and truly have been successful enough that they need to hire a VA or hire a virtual team, you know, are really having to learn, you know, right there at the line how to do the hiring and selection of those folks. And uh, that that will be that will be the key difference for them in being able to move forward or becoming more stagnant at whatever level of growth they've uh, they've achieved right then. It's so true. You know, you mentioned my podcast before, and it's such a joy to do my podcast because I do really get to dive deep with a lot of founding CEOs about the issues that they struggle with and two common themes. I've interviewed over 50 founding CEOs now, but two common themes, one of them that you mentioned, and that is, you know, building a team. Hiring is not something that you're born with knowing to do. You really have to understand the subtleties in hiring. There's some best practices and there are some unique attributes that are that are unique to you as a person, as a leader in your organization. And the second thing is really trying to understand delegation. And a lot of founding CEOs don't even like that word, Bob. You know, they don't like, they don't like the word delegation. That's a tough one for them, absolutely. Yes, yes. But you know, and you don't have to use the word delegation. You can talk about sharing responsibilities because that's really what it comes down to. But those are the two common things that I hear that a lot of founding CEOs struggle with. It's this idea of 
of you know building a team and how do I hire? And then also, how do you make sure each person is using their God-given talents in service of themselves and the organization? That would be a great thing for everyone at the top of the house to solve. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're talking to Todd Uderstedt at from founder. He's on Twitter at from founder to the number two CEO from founder to CEO. And you can find him there. Uh, I just got some research a bit earlier and that talked about executive coaching. Uh, and I want to ask you about your experience of that in a bit, but it said one of the key findings it found was almost 100% statistically significant 100% uh, <laughs> said that the CEOs responded. They actually enjoy the process of getting coaching and leadership advice, but only 65% are actually getting it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I've been coaching and being, I've been an executive coach for a number of years now, and you've probably seen this too, that it used to be a punitive endeavor. Someone had a problem call in an executive coach, even though previously they used to just call them consultants or they would send them to a therapist. Right, right. And that would be right? the board doing this. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, now, you know, everyone realizes that there's so much to understand. There's so much to do in a very complex, ever-evolving world. And it's really helpful to have someone, to have a confidential relationship with someone that you can talk through the issues. And more and more, it's considered a perk to have an executive coach is no longer considered punitive. Now, do you find most of it that you do or most of it that is done is done by phone or is it done by personal in-office calls or does a coach actually kind of follow around the executive for a period of time to make observations on what they see? You know, it's a great question, and I think the answer to your question is rooted in some evolution of the of our industry as well. And so I would say up until about three or four years ago, the vast majority of executive coaching was really done face-to-face, -face. and you have executive coaches that have built regional or city-based uh, coaching practices and a following in those regions. But I think as we've moved and we've evolved as an industry and as a world, more and more executive coaches are being able to embrace um, digital coaching, either by using Skype or other type of mechanisms that allow you to connect with people. But I also believe this, despite that change, I also think that uh, there are certain things that can be done virtually and there are some things that just can't be done virtually. For example, um, there are a fair number of people out there, uh, CEOs who need help with executive presence. It's kind of difficult to help people with executive presence when you're doing it digitally. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. That's, it's nearly impossible. Yeah. So, you know, there are some things that I think you can do from afar. I have a number of clients that I do that with, but there are also um, situations where you need someone face to face. And so as an executive coach, you know, we have a network of people that we tap into to make sure that if it's a situation where you need someone face to face, you tap into that network for someone locally. And, and it usually works out best if it's for those type of scenarios where they're perhaps like an executive, like executive presence. So the survey I'm talking about comes out of Stanford, and one question they asked was, what leadership skills are you currently working to develop? Mm, what they say? And the number one answer, I feel like this is family feud. The number <laughs> one answer is, I, I, I guess I do believe it. It is important. It is number one. But the fact that it actually on the survey in this context came out number one was kind of smart. Their communication skills. Yeah. Number one, we, we write that line, as I've said here before, and everybody on the show is tired of me saying, we write that line on every resume or CV we've written on our lives. 
excellent communication skills written and verbal or however, <laughs> however we say that still hear folks at the top of their house, at the top of their game in their own organization to go, oh, I need help with this. Well, I think communication is just like leadership, right? It's a very broad category. Yeah, it's, good. So, you know, there are lots of dimensions to communication. But I also think that um, we make a lot of assumptions about people when they assume a role or a position. We make assumptions that they've had some developmental opportunities in communications, for example. Here's an example for you. A couple of years back, I was working with the CEO of a fairly well-known company. And uh, he said to me eventually after about a month or so that he's never done a performance evaluation on someone. And I said to him, well, what do you mean? You've never given anyone you know, formal feedback on their performance? And he says, no. And I said, well, why not? And he said, I just didn't know how to do it, so I was scared. Wow. Yeah. That's so a great we, opportunity. Yeah, it is. And we make a lot of assumptions that people get all the development pieces. And it takes a while to develop an executive. There are certain things that experience alone can only really help someone. Until we develop the ability like Spock on Star Trek to be able to put your fingers on someone's head and transfer thoughts and experiences. Well, that would be perfect. We need that. I'd rather have that more than being able to be transported somewhere. Right. I mean, until we figure that out or implant some chip in our brain that says, okay, now you can have the assimilate all these experiences in your head, you know, there are elements of executive leadership that require you to experience something. So it's just not knowledge, right? And it's just not a skill. Uh, another point you mentioned already that is near the top of the list is they need help with delegation skills, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense. But the one I found in third place is interesting conflict management skills. Well, tell me more about what they said about that. What's your conflict what's the- management? So, you know, almost you know, these are so spread out over maybe a dozen or so traits, and one at the bottoms are like ten percent of the guys are working on. But it's significant that almost a quarter of them are working on conflict management skills, and I I think they just need some help with a framework on how to approach conflict, whether. Gee, it's in capital letters and, you know, in buyout and mergers and acquisitions and things of that nature, or if it's uh, hiring and selection and negotiating a deal with an employee or just day-to-day, you know, tactical conflicts. I think they just need a framework on how to look at the conflict. And as we've said here before, you really only care about two things. And when you know how much you care about these two things, the tactics you use fall right into place. Those two things are how much you care about the issue that's on the table and how much you care about the people on the other side. Oh, I love that, Bob. And you, and once you can answer those two questions, all of a sudden, whether you play hardball or not, or whether, or how much give and take you're going to put into it. And of course the list is much more tactical and longer than those two points, but knowing those two things will, will serve you well. And that's, Bye. that's something they need help with there too. It seems. Do you find that framework um, that works for the people that you work with? Uh, I find that very true, uh, and it's it's kind of it's kind of part of the that we've talked about the list of the important leadership traits, and you know, just I'll just say, twenty years ago, it was conservatism and driving to results and intellect were all important, and now you you read folks like you know Kuzis and Poster and those guys. The number one is empathy. 
Right. And actually, empathy's on the list of things that these guys want help with, too. And that's kind of <laughs> interesting that it's, that's even been recognized. But when you do come to empathy, and the reason I bring that up is then you really, that kind of enables you to get your hands around uh, just how how much you care about the other side of the table. Well, I think it's right. And, and I think uh, empathy is something that people often confuse with sympathy. And empathy is really about can you truly take the position of that individual and look through their eyes to truly understand their perspective. And it's just like um, what um, we've been taught from, from for a long time, and that is seek to understand before seeking to be understood, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, up up to this point, I, I think it's been easy to characterize, uh, as you said earlier, as somebody getting a coach is sort of a, a punitive action. Uh, do you think ego gets in the way of it sometimes too? Oh, sure. Listen, I mean, when someone, when someone starts a company or they're a successful executive, you know, the chances of them being successful without having some sense of pride in themselves, some sense of their strengths and feeling good about that, you know, there's a, it's a slippery slope to, to, to being an egoist, right? You know, it starts with being confident and then there's a spectrum that you eventually can go off into, into being more concerned about yourself. But at some point in time in your career as a leader, and I think you experience this when you work with people too, Bob, it really isn't about you. It's not about you. It's really about the health and well-being of the individuals in the organization and the health and well-being of the organization into the future. And so it's difficult to be a successful leader in the long run, I might suggest, without having a true understanding of whether or not your ego is getting in a way and whether or not it's really about you. That, that's a great point. One more point I want to pluck out that I'm suggesting folks need help with perhaps is uh, developing their internal talent. Mm. And that, I think that's more difficult than just getting the funds on in a budget to uh, have folks go climb the trees. You know, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's selection of who participates and, and the quality of of, uh, of what you can do for them. I think if you can identify some high performing individuals and, you know, hire, you know, them, a, a short term coach to just, you know, meet with them once face to face or Skype or whatever, and then just have some monthly calls with some accountability there, that would go a long way. If you're looking to put somebody in a, in a more senior position or find out what they've got under the hood. I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, I think one of the things that organizations overlook is the talent they have internally to coach leaders to help grow them for succession reasons. You know, uh, you and I both like getting assignments to help uh, coach leaders. It's what we do, right? Right. Yeah. However, you know, sometimes I get the feeling some clients want to outsource their responsibility to develop someone. And so what one of the mantras that I really like, and it's, it's not my own, it's one that I stole from a colleague of mine, but that, you know, life is a debriefable event. You know, a leader who is, yeah, that. a leader who is, who is shaping someone for the future simply has to spend time with that individual and ask them questions about their experiences and help them bring learning and meaning to the things they're currently dealing with. Oh, that's perfect. That That's absolutely perfect. And you know, if you can sit down as a coach and sit down at the table with the high performing employee and the CEO and deliver this as a reward, a reflection of we're investing in you. And today, you, boy, that 
that message is golden for someone to hear. Absolutely. Well, you know, Bob, I think also, you know, you and I are not millennials, right? No, we are not. No, <laughs> so, no we are not. You know, you read all the literature about the expectations of millennials. And I even kind of, I don't really like that, um, those generational labels because they're too general for me. I don't think it's changed very much to think that young people are looking for an opportunity to grow and develop. That's been since the dawn of time. People enjoy learning, growing, developing, particularly if they're involved in a business. And so I think we have a responsibility to find creative ways to be able to develop them. And when the organization isn't the best fit, someone in the organization, to to help that person grow, then an outside executive coach is usually a great resource. And this is all a result, or at least partially a result, I should say all the time and never, partially a result of the fact that things that have happened in the economy and the, and the globalization of the market in the last couple of decades, and organizations have been forced to be flatter. Yes. So all the skills that were just at the top, which were strategic, creating the vision, having a clarity of problem solving, all of a sudden now, everybody needs all the skills. And from the top down, these skills that we've just mentioned here and run through today, the top of the house, I think CEOs could find themselves in need. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 really critical. You know, like we talked about before, that it's about knowledge, skills, abilities, and experiences that help shape the development of great leaders. And, and to your point, when you, when you don't have some of that stuff, sometimes it's helpful to have an outside resource. You're absolutely right. Hey, let's look at it from the bottom up for a minute. Sure. So if you had a, could get your hands on a new MBA, a mm-hmm. newly minted MBA coming out of a great school into your organization, what would be your advice for them? Oh, learn, uh, know thyself. You know, how well do they know themselves? And there's lots of different ways to know thyself, but I would encourage them to take one step first. And that is if they can go out and interview maybe 10 people who know them very, very well and ask them dispassionately, how they perceive that, how they perceive them, them, right? And do a kind of a, a mini 360 on themselves because it really starts with your own perception of the world. You can't quite understand other people's perceptions until you're clear about your own. And so that would be my advice to someone coming out of an MBA program is to simply spend the time, use lots of different assessments, interview other people, but really start with knowing thyself. Oh, that's just excellent. I mean, I know you're a father. My kids are grown now, and I don't know how old your kids are, but you're a father of two. You yes. Know, and, and you have hopes and dreams for them just as as any parent does. And just, you know, knowing yourself is – I remember saying those words to, to my son throughout his entire life to this point. <laughs> and uh, not that I'm bowing deeply and taking credit for his accomplishments at this point, but as any proud parent would, I'm thinking, yeah, I feel good about that. Well, you know, it's funny, as I always tell people, the deep, dark, dirty secret of being an executive coach is I get to learn more about myself every time I have the privilege and responsibility to coach someone else. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. Truer <laughs> words were never spoken. It, it's quite an opportunity. It's just between you and me, so I'm glad no one else heard that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, how's life in Cincinnati for you right now? Oh, wow. Cincinnati is just doing great. We're so excited. We have the the all-star game in Cincinnati in this July, this summer, and we have a really a, a mini renaissance happening in Cincinnati, particularly in our downtown area. It is so exciting to see. And one of the reasons why it's happening is because we've decided to disperse responsibility amongst lots of people to try and create a renaissance in this wonderful river city. And it's happening right before our eyes. So I couldn't be more excited about what's happening in Cincinnati right now. Well, congrats on being a key player in the middle of all of that. Uh, 
Todd, I, I, we mentioned that you have the podcast from founder to CEO and your Twitter uh, ID is from founder to CEO. That's the number two there. Where else can people find you? What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Feel free to email me at Todd at from founder to CEO.com. And I would love to chat with anyone and help them out. I think Bob, you and I are, are people that like to reach out and help people. So uh, feel free to reach out and, and ask and see if I can help. Todd, that's very gracious. Thank you for sharing all that. And thank you for your time here today. And uh, we'll see if we can help people get from founder to CEO in the future. It's my pleasure. I love what you're doing with Labrador Leadership. Bob, keep it up. Oh, thank you, sir. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. For the sake of all the special people in your life that deserve you to be the best leader you can be. Connect with us on our website at labradorleadership.com, on Facebook at Labrador Leadership, and on Twitter at Lab Leadership. Now, here's a final thought from Bob. From Bob. Many, many thanks. Heartfelt thanks to Todd Uderstedt for sharing his insights on executive coaching and the needs of moving from founder to CEO today. Remember, you can reach out to him at from founder to CEO on Twitter, and please give his podcast a listen. Take care of one another. Have a great week.